do it again. Of all the gin joints in all the towns in all the world. You're listening to Drinks, Jokes, and Storytelling. The martini, shaken, not stirred. Don't try and church it up, son. You can't handle the truth. I am the picture that got small. Your first one's on us. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Drinks, Jokes, and Storytelling. I'm your host, Mark Rigadonna, and with me as always... Richie Byrne. It's great to see you, Richie. Look at you with the, the glasses on today. Got on my about? spectacles. What's going on, you all right? I'm good, man. I uh, I actually worked out. Uh, I did an old workout from when I played football in high school. Uh, the no weights workout, upper body and abs. Did you do it with your eyelids? Like, why do you need glasses? Uh, no, I'm sore as shit, so uh, I can I can barely read the screen. Oh, okay. <laughs> Joel asked me. He goes, "It was a good. It's a good uh, sore, right?" And I go, "There's a no good sore for me. No sore. That no that sore. <laughs> it's hurting and not hurting. Those are my two <laughs> two on. How's Happy it going with Friday, your brother? It's Friday. Mother's Day weekend's coming Mother's up. Day? Did you? Yeah. Did you get your mom anything? Because I didn't. Uh, I can't go shopping. Could have sent her a card. Yeah. I'll call her. Could have done a lot of things. Yeah. I probably could have went into a real profession and made them proud. Could have made them proud. But I but didn't do that. That's just a sale. <laughs> that's just a sale, though. <laughs> so this is episode 96, bro. Oh, we're getting there. And and we have a returning guest. We have a, a returning guest. guest. Third season. I'm super excited to have him here. Should we just bring him right out? Yeah, we don't have anything today. Let's just get him We out. don't got nothing to say. We All right, folks. We got a great one coming up. Uh, very it's funny Friday. guy. Friday. Let him do all the heavy lifting. Yeah. You know folks, what I mean? He's in good shape. He can do the lifting. Yeah, folks, Kevin Flynn's here. Kevin, Kevin Flynn is in the house. Hey, guys. Look at you. Just, just, just checking you guys out from this angle. It's like... Rick Adana looks like uh, like Elvis Costello on steroids, and <laughs> and you look like a biker from Dublin, for God's sake. <laughs> Somebody's angel. I'm a fucking hell's angel. <laughs> Somebody the other day said that Richie looks like if Hulk Hogan didn't get into wrestling. <laughs> it, was, uh, it was Anthony Rodia. Yeah. Oh, look at that. That's a comic. Even a, another comic uh, yeah, his props Hogan on the line. I love it. My hair's long, Flinny. Look at this. Look at that, man. You know, and your roots, like, such uh, nice brown hair. Why do you dye the roots gray? That's weird. Well, I don't know. It's, <laughs> It's a good look. It's a good look. It Looking makes me distinguish, Flinny. Makes me distinguish. You act, and you actually do look thin. You, you lost some weight, Richie, huh? No, I really haven't. I've oh, gained that's the black shirt. You've it's gained good. weight, uh, Jesus. This, yeah, is the thing, know, this is the thing with not working. It throws everybody off I in the schedules. Have, I usually gain weight in my face, but for some reason I must have not gained weight in my face because every you're not the first. Everyone's going, wow, you look good. And I'm like, I guess from here up. I'm doing. <laughs> but believe me, anything below is. You're, you're doing Ricadona's eyelid workout. That's yeah. what you're doing. <laughs> they say black is slimming. When I close my eyes, I'm thin. Exactly. Because <laughs> you, you blacked out. That's it. <laughs> yeah. Which isn't a stretch. Uh, so, Kevin, uh, we got it for any of our uh, viewers who maybe don't know you, we have a little uh, stand up comedy clip we would like to play of yours. So, we'll play that now. All right, God bless him. You know, I'm a grandchild of immigrants. I'm like, wow, driving a cab in New York City two weeks from Haiti. My God, that's awesome. 
You know? And then I'm thinking, like, it's snowing. I'm like, it's gonna be the first time this guy's ever seen snow. And, and just as I make that connection, sure enough, we get through like the second light, the car goes. Car spins out, slams up against the curb, stalls. Guy looks and goes, I no fucking drive. I go, um, I gotta get to another show, I'll drive. He goes, okay. So I get in the front seat, he gets in the back, meter's running, I drive to another comedy club, I get out, I pull up at the, at the other club, the door opens up, I get out of the front, he gets out of the back, I pay him. <laughs> and he drives away. And all the other comedians are standing there, they're like, oh, what the fuck was that? I go, that, my friends, is America. That's what... Dude, I've seen that clip. I don't know how many times. Still laugh every single oh time. Oh my god, that's a, that was an old, that's an oldie, man. I love it. I, I, you know, do you guys have that problem? Like, I, I was thinking, if I had to go up right now tonight, I'd have to really think about it. Uh, how to do that bit again? You know, I did it for three years yeah. in a row. Maybe, you know, it should be a muscle memory, but you, you sort of you gotta get out of a rhythm a little bit. You know? <laughs> it's a child. There's a there's drunk a... child walking through the room. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Daddy, yeah. the nanny, the nanny's touching me. Help! <laughs> now, now, Kev, when was the last time you performed? Boy, I tell you, I, I did a. Oh man, I think I did a corporate event in Naples. I can look at my computer, but I tell you, I was supposed to be in Florida for a good two and a half weeks, and I had work in Palm Beach and kind of a couple of country clubs, a corporate event, and then I had um, Captain Dan's. I think it was in Naples, Florida. Sold yeah, out show. I was there and I had all the staff ready to play a joke on you and Jackie. Oh, did you? And you guys ended up not going. <laughs> well, sold out, man. And and we stayed there the whole week waiting for the show. And then the night before, he had no choice. He had to cancel because uh, the health department. Something. So, right. so what is that? That's in March. And then, yeah. that, my God, my March. I load up March and April. Like, I'm on the road constantly because in, you know, uh, like June, I start to you know get ready for the comedy festival on Nantucket, and so my time is all there. So I, I really got—I took a big hit. All of us did. I mean, it's pretty right. amazing. Pretty but amazing. But my point is, it like the last time I got on stage was a guest spot at Governor's on March Sunday, March fifteenth, and I have not thought about my act since Sunday, March fifteenth. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's good though. I, I mean, I'm trying to look at it like uh, I'm going to try to go up with a new half at least. You know, just yeah, because. We get bored. What happens is, Richie, once you get to your level, at Mark's level, you, you know, you sort of get to the point where, like, you're almost performing for yourself in a way. Uh, I, I think that's where the great ones go, I think, because you look at, like, uh, to say, look, all of us here can do an hour. I can do an hour and I make people laugh. They'll say, oh, you were great. You're really funny. And after a while, that's not enough. We've done right. it for years and years. What has to happen after that is you have to say, these are the things I really feel passionate about. I really feel good about and I really want to talk about and make them laugh like like you did with your other hour right and, th and then I think you hit the next level and so I think that this could be an opportunity for people to really kind of break it down again almost like we were open micers and say all right, right what yeah. can I write what can I do what do I want to talk about you're right but my other concern is when we go back we're all gonna have to do coronavirus jokes and the problem is if we don't do them People are going to go, why didn't they talk about the virus? But if we do do them, they're going to be like, is everyone going to talk about the virus? 
You know well, what I mean? I think yeah, the M- it's the MC's responsibility, and I'm hoping I don't have to. You know, look, it, it, no. it, I worked with uh, years ago Jack Gallagher. He was the first comic that I ever saw do this, where I was featuring for him in Boston. I was a young guy, and he watched my whole set. And I was like, hey, thanks for watching my set. He's a really nice guy. And he's like, oh, that was great. This was good. This was good. I said, yeah, you know, usually headliners don't watch the other person's set. He goes, oh, no, you, you always watch the the other two act sets on the first night. So you know that you don't step on other material because, you know, you can, if so, you know, but I think with the coronavirus jokes, it's going to be like, all you have to do is walk up and go, hey, you've already heard all the coronavirus stuff. I'm not yeah, going there. So. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's only to acknowledge yeah, I mean, or like, even if you're doing a bit about a cruise ship or something, say, remember those? We and I, yeah, those. oh my god, the cruise ships! Oh my goodness, I'm glad I'm off those things. But I think people, a couple of comics, still on them. They deserve it. They're out there, <laughs> yeah. they're out there um, drifting. What's her name? Tom Cotter was telling us when he was on the show that ah, uh, oh, I can't think of her name. I know that's a shock, Mark. Um, <laughs> Michelle Ballin. Michelle Ballin got stuck on a ship. Yeah, yeah, she was out there for weeks and, and yeah. got paid. Wow. Oh, really? Yeah, Tom said she was getting paid every week. Yeah, Why couldn't I the, have gotten stuck? By yeah. the, she got paid by the crew. She was hooking. It was a different kind of pay. <laughs> All those, those Greek officers, man. Uh, <laughs> they used to have Greek guys. They used to be Greek guys on Celebrity and Royal Caribbean. And they were the biggest assholes. Can we swear in this show? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, you just can't say Greek. but no Greek style. <laughs> you, ever hear, you ever hear the joke or the... Uh, the joke where the um, the Irish girls getting married, and uh, see, I'm glad he remembered that we <laughs> start with a joke because we forgot. <laughs> so the uh, this Irish girl's getting married, and her mother takes her aside before she's getting married. She's marrying a Greek guy, and she says, uh, "Now, Bridget, be careful now. The Greeks, the Greeks, they do it a little differently. If you know what I mean, they do it a little differently." She says, "What do you mean, Mama?" And she says, oh, don't you worry." One night, when you're in the making coitus, making love in the bed, he'll try to do something a little different. And you just say, ah, I'm not that type of girl. She's like, okay, mom. <laughs> so a couple of weeks go by there. They're having sex every night. Finally, one day the Greek guy goes, okay, I want you to roll over. She goes, ah, I'm not that kind of girl. He goes, okay, I thought you might want to have kids. <laughs> 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 you know, because they were every night having, you know, the, wrong way. Yeah. the Greek, uh, the Greek, uh, what, what, what game can't the Greeks play? Leapfrog, because they never kept past the first jump. That's it. <laughs> All right, well, you got the jokes out of the way there. Right, I didn't know where, I haven't told those in 20 years, but those are my old man's jokes. <laughs> it looks like you're both drinking something brown. Yeah. What do you guys got? Uh, give me a minute to think of it. It's uh, bird dog. Bird dog. Oh, that's yeah, really good delicious. stuff. Yeah. Wow. It's a very select bottle. My girlfriend got it for me. So she's nice. Very nice. Yeah. I'm doing nice. the Johnny Black. Oh, the Johnny the Black. Richie go-to, Johnny it's, Black. It's called Johnny African American now. So Johnny African American. <laughs> don't, uh, don't be throwing that around. <laughs> I'm going a uh, very unricadana. I'm doing a, a sparkling water with CBD uh, in it. Does that count, Richie? He'd be thrown out of the Irish club, what? I think. If there was, what's what the is CBD? You... Is that going to fuck you up a little bit, maybe? Yeah, it, it, it's yeah, supposed mellow to you out. mellow you down. 
He's sore. One of my best friends is uh, recovering and recovering. And he goes to these tea places. Oh, we went to it. You know him, yeah. And Tim Sullivan, I can say his name. And one night I was meeting him, and he goes to these tea places where you order tea, and it it fucks you up, Kev. And yeah, it's a CBD, a, THC? It's got like the whatever in it, the, whatever, wanna... you know, whatever's legal now. You just sounded so old, Richie. It's got the, the whatever in it. Whatever. You know, it's got the marijuana. You know what the kids are You know, doing. you don't have to smoke the jazz cigarettes you know, anymore. You can got, just drink the teas. It's got yeah. the pot. The pot. <laughs> they hopped up on goofballs and Christ knows what all. So I go meet him, and he's got this big cup. And he says, dude, get it was $25. And I drink one, and I'm like completely mellowed out, right? But I have a show that night in the city, so I don't want to get too fucked up. So he orders another one, and Joel meets us. Because I'm going to have to. So I'm going to have a meeting with my buddy Tim, and then a meeting with Joel. Joel met you. What was it, old ladies night there? <laughs> <laughs> old ladies Joel, getting free. Hey, Joel, how you doing? Joel ends up drinking two of these teas. These big oh, my God. And Tim had two. So now we go out to have like a meeting. We're at dinner, and I look up, and the two of them are like this. <laughs> like, We're gonna get nothing done. It's five o'clock in the afternoon. They're like, oh my gosh. and Tim's going, "No, nah, it's all legal. It's all legal." I'm like, "Great, I'm glad it's legal. You guys are fucking stoned out of your mind." Exactly. <laughs> Try getting something done. It's legal. Yeah. You guys drink two of those, and then we should have a meeting. That way, we can all be on the same wave, man. I did it. I'm not a I'm not a pot guy. Like in you know, I would just always get insecure. Like I think something was hanging off my nose, or I you know my eye was getting screwed up. I couldn't look at a girl at a party or whatever. So I was trying to stay sober. But uh, I've been eating the um, the gummies at night for to Wonderful. sleep, and it's helping me. Yeah, quite a bit. But one night I did a play this summer, and after the play, I didn't want to drink, and I just ate two gummies instead of one, and then I went out instead of going home, which I thought I was going home. And I sat at the bar and I was just like, just wow. chilling. <laughs> you guys, you want to order a drink? No. Flynn, I've never <laughs> seen you not order a drink before. Yeah, whatever, man. <laughs> it was a good feeling, though. Where, But where did you get the gummies? Were they legal? Were they like one of the... No, they were at California. In uh, California. And I was in uh, I was on Nantucket, so... I got you. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But they are. They're, they're anti-inflammatories. So it helps with joint stuff. Mark was talking before we got on air about being hurt from lifting. It helps with anti-inflammatory. Really? And, then all, and then the THC, they say the THC, you try to get one Makes that's ten, you cooler. 10 to one. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but then you got to get a van with carpeting inside. too. <laughs> but they, um, but they, I guess with the THC CBD mix, you kind of do like an eight or 10 to one in it. It's good for sleeping. So I'm hoping that, you know, yeah, because I need uh, something. I haven't been sleeping this whole uh, quarantine. I've been having like horrible, and also having two kids who hate sleeping makes it even worse. I think that's the biggest thing. Because someone said to me, Richie, do you have any kids? No. Oh, that's no. you're gay. I mean, I don't. Nothing wrong with that. I'm just saying no. I don't. And we're, that, allowed, we're allowed to adopt. I just decided. you are Anderson Cooper adopted kid a kid this uh, this past week. So I, there's hope for you anyway. Um, but they say once you uh, the Greeks. The I'm hitting it all, everybody, every angle. Look, um, our last show, we almost made it to 100 marks. <laughs> got thrown out. The Greek government interjected and took everything away. Um, you don't want Greeks interjecting either. 
Exactly. Yeah. You don't want I that. Digress. But I forget what I was saying, what we were talking about. Kids. Kids. Oh, kids. They say once you have kids, <laughs> once you have kids, your memory goes. No, they say, they say once you have kids, you never sleep the same again. You just, yeah. I, I think it was 16. Martin Mall. Martin Mall has the greatest quote was uh, having kids is like installing a bowling alley in your head. <laughs> <laughs> he was good. He was good. I didn't get him when I was young, but he's so oh, he dry. Yeah. What yeah. was the show he had where it was like a talk show? Uh, good Morning Fernwood? Good Fernwood. Yeah, Fernwood Tonight, I think. Fernwood, Fernwood Tonight. Tonight. Which was an offshoot of Mary Hartman. Yeah. So I thought it was actually a legitimate Ohio show because it takes place in Fernwood, Ohio. Yeah. And he's Canadian. Cana so he's a Canadian. So. Later, when people would talk about him, I'm like, you guys got that show? <laughs> like, I thought that was like an Ohio. I think Mary Hartman, Mary Hartman, would, which Louise Lasser, I think that was a show she would watch. And he was on, like, she'd watch the show. And then they took that show and turned it into. Its own show. Are you are you smoking pot now? No, I'm oh serious. <laughs> show and then you had a well, like like her, she had it like it was a TV show and one of the things she watched on her TV show was that and they would cut to him. Wasn't and, she? Wasn't she married to Woody Allen? Woody Allen. Yeah. Woody wow. Allen, yeah. What happened to him? Um, Where's he well, at now? I think he's, <laughs> he plays a fiddle or a flute. Look, none of us will say anything. Just hoping we'll get in one of his movies <laughs> one day. <laughs> Jeez, you'll, make fun of, you'll make fun of the gays and the Greeks, but not Woody Allen, baby. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm not making fun of the gays. I was making fun of you. Big difference. <laughs> making fun of one of them. <laughs> <laughs> they wouldn't have you. You'd get thrown out of that club. Oh. In a minute, in a heart. <laughs> who's, who's the biker from Dublin? Everybody's like, why does he not do anything? <laughs> the, the morning of my wedding, I'm driving around in a convertible. It's a, uh, it, it's a Chrysler Sebring. It's gold with a black convertible leather, all that shit, with Marshall Childs. And I'm picking up the dog from the groomer for the wedding. And Marshall goes... You know, everybody thinks we're the ugliest gay couple in New York City right now. <laughs> yeah, it's tough to compete. It's tough to compete. I used to say in L.A., all these good-looking guys, I, I would say, anybody better looking than me is gay. And there's a lot of fags out there. Lots of them. <laughs> <laughs> oh, come on. We saw, your, we saw the cover of your TV extra. Uh, oh, yeah. That was that, huh? Oh, yeah, there it is. Look at that. There he is. Most oh, handsome man in comedy. Actually, that was you? <laughs> no, go back to it. Yeah. yeah Where'd you get that short sleeve black shirt? I got it from Richie. It's one of Richie's. So that was. So, uh, you were talking about Nantucket. Um, we were. Richie, Joel, and I got to come out and join you. And uh, we have a, a picture a from that night. What a great weekend! Oh, there's a that's a very famous doctor right up front there with Joel. Yeah, uh, Dr. Tina Alster is her name. Yes, and uh, she is the dermatology dermatologist to the stars. And there, look at me, geez, I look think at I'm at, I think I'm in the Greek club there. <laughs> Give me look at little. We all look like we were superimposed into yeah, that we photo. Were, we look like but I, we were all, we had a blast that night, didn't we? We had a lot such of fun. A good night. Good dinner and good cocktails. Oh, it's it's great. You guys I, were there in the winter, right? Yeah. 
Yeah, the food was ridiculous, man. Yeah, and then yeah. you guys. No, you guys it was was because I was watching um the spring. horse. Race. It was spring. Yeah, it was uh, I think the Kentucky Derby was that weekend, so it had to be. I remember going to watch the horse race. I know you, you guys had a great meal, and then uh, I I had to drop you off at Stop and Shop because you washed it all down with a quart of ice cream, <laughs> each of you. <laughs> what I what I and it's legendary because I say I had the three of you in the car and you're like, hey, we're gonna get some ice cream. I'm like, okay, I'm thinking I'm gonna get a quart of chocolate ice cream or something. We'll come out, we'll all have scoop back at home. You each come out with your own quart. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but in all fairness, Mark oh, there's nothing left. Mark Dude. and I shared a quart, and Joel had the other two. Oh. <laughs> You guys were focused. I got to give you that. It's amazing. Mark and I were Tell us a little bit about the festival. Fill us in a well, little on. It, it actually started, you know, it's, it's, I wouldn't say it's a sad story, but it's, it basically, Nantucket is a very interesting place. It, uh, it's very wealthy. You always hear about the well to do, the one percenters that go out there. But in the rest of the year, there's the working class that are out there. And I'm a working class kid. Um, and, you know, I, when I first started going out there, I was playing soccer. Uh, and with soccer, you meet all types. You know, I learned about the world from the game of soccer. But out there, I'm playing on soccer teams with the Jamaicans, the Irish, the, the English, the, you know, the Scottish, Norwegians, all these guys. So they were all the guys who actually worked everywhere. And uh, so I'd get the scoop on everybody. You know, But I also know all the, you know, I knew all the sort of um, people involved in the, the arts and, and everything else, too. So I knew kind of the whole gamut out there. And the year, uh, one of the years my daughter, um, I think she was about two years old, we moved out to Nantucket because my stepdaughter was in between schools. So I was out there in the off season. And so I worked with the soccer team a little bit and uh, they were going through a terrible uh, patch of suicides, teen suicides. Oh, wow. And the thing about the island is, uh, you know, it's, it's lifestyles of the rich and famous in the summer. And it doesn't matter if you are a working class kid or whatever. Everybody is privy to these great beaches, these great parties, everything. So you, I was a, you know, like I said, I was a working class kid and I lived in a summer town. The summer was a little better than the winter. Didn't know why because we were down at the beach all day and doing stuff. But um, I think with these kids on Nantucket back then anyway, they'd have this great life and they'd see these huge boats pull up and parties and everybody's going everything. And then all of a sudden, boom, winter happens. And I think there was a sort of a, I used wow. to call it sort of a, sort of an emotional speedball. Like here's the high of the highs. And then all of a sudden you're in a desolate island all alone out there. And so they had a cluster of suicides. Wow. And, um, and the last, uh, one of the last kids uh, that it had happened to, I knew through coaching a little bit. And uh, he was a fan of soccer and uh, a fan of comedy and used to ask me, do you know, Lewis Black? Do you know, Jim Gaffigan? Do you know? I'm like, well, yeah, you, you know, these guys, this is, we come up in the business with each other. And um, and it, when he died, I was, you know, I heard about it. I was in New York City. And um, about two days later, the New York Times came out with an article about this cluster of suicides on Nantucket. And it really kind of hit me. I said, wow, um, you know, what can I do to sort of maybe help some kids to sort of let them feel like they have an outlet, they have a voice, they, they can express themselves. And so... I decided to start a festival, a comedy festival out in Nantucket um, with the with it being a nonprofit and being it involved in kids education. The only idea I had in the beginning was to bring a bunch of my friends out that I knew we could hang out, have a good time. We could do a couple of workshops for the kids in the day. And they all said yes right away, everybody. And 
I figured, well, once they're out there, why don't we do a show for the adults at night? And so that's basically how the festival sort of started. It was, you know, do some things for the kids in the day, um, teach them how to do stand-up comedy, how to express themselves, tell them that, that uh, you know, because when kids start to talk about stand-up comedy, they start talking about their sisters or their parents or their whatever, and they realize that they all are going through some of the same issues, mm. same problems, same things. And so they feel very empowered. Like they're like, the kids start to come together. They look at each other and go, oh, my mom does that. And my brother does it. It drives me crazy. And so cool. that was really successful. We had four workshops the first year and they were completely full, packed to the gills. We didn't turn any of the kids away, uh, way past fire marshal code. They, they just looked the other way. And, um, you know, I had, I had some big acts out there, but I also had some people who struggled with certain things you know, Tom Cotter's got ADD. I have ADD. Uh, Jane Condon was dyslexic, you know, so it's sort of like we could talk to these kids who had issues. And then at night, we started to have these these big performers kind of do these big shows. And it was, uh, and you know, it's funny. I also educated, I think, in some ways, the, the donor class that was out in Nantucket because up until that point, they had sort of looked at, at comedy as sort of uh, Bud Light and Chicken Wings. And what they have discovered over the years is that uh, comics are very smart people, you know, present company excluded here, but I'm saying <laughs> there's a lot of very, very bright people who go up there and they're not being racist. They're not being sexist. They're not being homophobic. Like I have been tonight. Uh, they, they have, they're very uh, learned people. You know what who happened, are, Kevin, before you started the festival, the only comic they knew was you. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, they, so, so they were worried. They were worried. Oh my God! I saw. I should say I saw a clip of me uh, doing this at the Boston Comedy Festival, which was this big event that we had. No, the Boston Boston Comedy Riot, this big competition that we had. It was only for four years, and I I won the finals. Janine Garofalo and I were in the finals, but also in the finals were David Cross, Mark Marin, Tom Cotter, Louis C.K., wow. uh, uh, Nick DiPaolo. Wow! <laughs> um, and so. It was it was it was a big deal, but um, I'm I'm watching myself. I have the kick and mullet. I should have sent you guys that one. I have the kick and mullet, and I'm and I'm doing like, you know, the gay figure skater and the dumb basketball player, and I'm you know every the dumb football player. So I'm doing all that stuff. Your first seven minutes is basically still recorded. It's horrible, right. horrible to watch. You know, <laughs> right. but uh, we actually we have a, a trailer from one of the years at the festival. We'll play that so people can see how awesome your uh, setup is. Look at that. Oh, quick yeah. out, man. Quick yeah, out. we didn't. All that was, uh, and Lewis Black. <laughs> Lewis <laughs> and Kathleen Madigan. Yeah. In there. Yeah, yeah. Karen uh, Morgan was there. That She was at, um, she was up there the time we were up with you. Yeah, she produced it for a few years with me. Yeah. Who, who, who? I'm Karen just... Morgan. Oh, Karen right, 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 right. Really you just funny. look like a really old guy, Richie. Like, who, 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 who? who? Ah, Moving hey. forward. Time you said I look old, by the way, Kevin. No, your actions <laughs> look old, not you. <laughs> And one of um, uh, <laughs> you so, also do a really cool one man show. Yeah, that just I, started that. But to go back quickly to, to, to the comedy festival, so 
we're on our 14th year and it's uh and after a couple of years i decided to formalize the the teachings that i had done and that others had helped with and we put together a curriculum called stand up and learn which is available to the public now so it's been a great success story and it all started on nantucket and uh, it's been fun yeah and um i mean as sad a story as it is good for you to take that and do something positive with it you know yeah. Yeah, the suicide thing. It's sad. It's yeah, good. and I certainly didn't see the curriculum that would come of it and that's national, you know, nationwide now. Uh, I didn't see that in the beginning. All I was trying to do is, you know, has, just, has just help my, my neighborhood. gone down since that time? Like, Oh, yeah, yeah, it stopped. It stopped for a bunch of reasons. But one of the main reasons was uh, they had a new principal came, and he really gave this interesting logic. He said um, – they were celebrating the children's lives that had taken their own lives. So you have all the kids go to the auditorium and you see videos of that kid, you know, playing football or his artwork or pictures that he took or running on the beach. And they were celebrating his death, basically. And I think, you know, the, the teenage brain is sitting there thinking, oh, I, I want them to do this for me. Then those bullies would would be like really sad and but you don't realize as a kid it's over man it's over if you take your own life there's no there's no i'll show them uh so he said he said do not celebrate the death you immediately send psychiatrists and psychologists over to the family to try and help you have uh grief counselors at the school but you don't have a big let's celebrate the dude's life uh or the girl's life so it was like it, it was something i had not thought of but i wouldn't have yeah yeah, yeah. it's counterintuitive how many kids you have kevin i just have one yeah you just, just have one, one okay one little girl yeah so little girls in college still calling my little girl that's the way it works <laughs> now you had a interesting what <laughs> that's what what's, we, what's that that's what we call joel a little girl a little girl oh my goodness uh, Poor he's joel. all grown up he's not uh, here to defend himself he's here he won't come out he's afraid yeah so we were talking about way one man, and I, I appreciate you yes. bringing that up. This uh, fear of heights. This means a lot to me. If you can look uh, to the to the right of that, I think it's the right of everybody's uh, computer or television. Yes. What are they watching on? That's my grandfather on the right. They discovered what? recently. All the way on the right or in? All the way on the right on the other oh, side. Okay, of the I thought it was yeah. the guy in the white shirt. I was telling no, the guys so earlier. Wait, so no. The guy sitting. He's got a black hat on at the yeah. end. Of the- and if you look, Richie, you can tell he's one of my relatives because. Because he has a bottle, he has a bottle, bottle in his left hand. Yeah. Yes, he does. Oh, cool. <laughs> so it's I don't, a Flynn. I think. But here, shit, dude. I mean, imagine that. Uh, so I was supposed to be a third generation iron worker. I'm looking for a picture here right now, but um, I was supposed to be a third generation iron worker, and that's what the play's about. Basically, um, you know, my father drove two hours commute each way to have us be raised in Connecticut, and. Um, so I, I just, it's basically a tribute to my, my dad and basically the working class that I came from to, to sort of say, like, I suddenly become a stand-up comic and on, I have television shows and I just always had a real, I don't know, uh, what do they call it? Just a weird kind of hang up about, is this really a job? And is this really, you know, does it count as a job as work? Is it an honest day's labor? Yeah. You know? Where, where in Connecticut did you grow up? Madison, Connecticut. So. Madison, and your father. So your father went and worked every day in the city. In the city, and it's, it's two hours. So, um, yeah. and he grew up in Brooklyn. And uh, but that picture, if you look very closely, hold, that that hand holding the bottle, that left hand, uh, it has only four fingers. 
So about five years ago, um, there had always been, it looks like my grandfather. I, we always thought it was our grandfather, but it had been attributed to a couple people. One, Patty Flynn, who's my grandfather, or a man named Sonny Glynn, which sounds a lot like Patty Flynn. Uh, but about five years ago, a documentary was being made and they found more photos. And the person that uh, they showed different photos of my grandfather and they showed that he had a, a finger that wasn't there. And if you can see on this picture here, look at his hand, the left hand holding the hat. See yeah. that oh, face? Wow. Yeah. It's the same finger. If you look on the, uh, look at that. Oh, you got it close in. There you go. You go lost back. that finger. Oh. Go back to the other one, Joey. And you can't really uh, go in on that one, but yeah. if you if you can look up close, you can see it's the same fingers gone. So once they saw that, they pretty much said that's the guy. So uh, you yeah, know, so it, that's it, and that because it's such an iconic picture, right? Right. Know? That must be a that must mean something to you that you actually have your grandfather's in it. I know. Well, most people just think you're bullshit, and then how can you prove it? And you can't really prove it other than how I just did, where people like if you look at some newspaper articles, they think it's Patty Flynn or Sonny Glynn, or another guy who's Polish. Um, so, it, it's But you have be. the lack of fingerprint to prove it. I have the lack of fingerprint to prove it, exactly. <laughs> so that's about five years old anyway. So, uh, so it's a story about basically me uh, growing up uh, as, you know, my father is an iron worker, works for, he would leave the house at 5.30 in the morning, he'd be back at 6.30, quarter to 7 at night. And then, I, you know, he couldn't play sports because he had to work as a kid. He had to pay room and board as a kid, which is sort of a throwback from the, wow. the Great Depression. And so here I am growing up in Lily White, Madison, Connecticut, uh, Republican town, you know, uh, uh, you know, and, and my father went to the war, uh, Korean War. He, you know, had a Purple Heart, uh, 17 years old. He went to the Korean War. Um, just an amazing story of giving and sacrificing for others. I find myself in L.A., you know, just living single, living in L.A., not doing much for anybody other than myself, seemingly. And, and uh, my father gets lung cancer and I get robbed and uh, I'm the, you know, pretty much two, three days apart. And I start to I have a bit of a sort of a crisis of confidence or a midlife crisis or whatever. But I, I really have a, a very um, sobering moment for me. And I sort of change the direction of my life at that point. Wow. Really? You skipped over a huge chunk, which I love, is I call it the Kevin Flynn mullet pro soccer years. Yeah. We'll show. There he is in the middle. There he is, right in the center. Look at that. Look at that. Look at that. That's a, that's that's a, a mullet just starting. That's nothing compared that's to That's a baby mullet. Because then we go into this one, the next soccer picture. Wow. <laughs> yeah. There's a nice. See, now. Uh, that, one, that one landed. That landed, man. <laughs> that one, that right hook landed. My wife uh, always thinks of Kevin as such a nice guy until I went to his apartment in New York City and saw a photo of him putting another man in a headlock and jacking him in the face. <laughs> I took pictures of it and sent it to Angie and said, still the nice guy you thought? Well, <laughs> I wanted to be the guy that you did not want to compete with on the on the field, but I wanted to be the guy that you wanted to have a beer with afterwards. And I think I, I really tried to live up to that. But um, that the story behind that fight, um, I led the league uh, in fights and penalty minutes, believe it or not. And uh, this is soccer, not hockey. Same haircuts. Here, here, you know, I played soccer for years. It's a very physical game. Very physical game, and it's it's bullshit that people say it's not. But no, it's but my, my father taught me to fight at a very early age, like really to how to fight, throw hooks and drop your you know head and and 
Um, it, well, you're Irish, so right. You have no choice. And I think it turned we, out he was just protecting you from your mother. But anyway, right, exactly. <laughs> no, no, from, from the nuns, Richard. Sister Mary. <laughs> Well, Sister, uh, there you go. Sister there Mary Joe Frazier. Uh, all my yeah. fight knowledge went out the window. Yeah. <laughs> so Carmelini uh, used to kick the shit out of me. But but my dad know. used to say, I went from Catholic school to a public school um, in Connecticut. My father said, hey, you know, public schools are a little different. So, you know, everything I've been showing you, you know, you, you, you know, they're going to take you on right away when you go into that new school. I go, I'm like, what? You know, I hadn't been in any fights in the Catholic school other than dodging the nuns hooks. Yeah. And um, <laughs> so it, my father, you know, he actually said this. It's really amazing. By the way, I'm growing up, like I said, in this white town, lily white town, and uh, not the turn of the century New York, like my old man had to live in, you know? Right, right. So he goes, hey, look, they're gonna, somebody's going to give you a hard time. you got to step up right away because he goes, if you don't step up, they're going to come back the next day and the day after and the day after. And then it's humiliation. Yeah, it's the prison rule. And he goes, so when they step up, he goes, just uh, don't back down. And he goes, if there's a couple of them, he goes, Square off with the biggest guy and push him. I go, the biggest guy? He goes, yeah, the biggest guy. You square off with the biggest guy and you push him. And if he throws a punch, you know it's on. And if he doesn't, you know nobody's going to throw a punch and you you know, you know, can call them pussies and walk out of there. I'm like, okay, interesting. So <laughs> I walk I walk into this bathroom maybe the Did second or third day. Did your dad do some time? No, no, no. <laughs> he, was a, he fought in the Golden Gloves a little bit too, so unfortunately. So um, like a different time. Like, you know, like I said, growing up in Brooklyn. Um, and so, God, the second or third day of school, I, I, sixth grade, I walk into the bathroom, three guys come in after, you know, and, um, and I wound up blowing them all because I didn't want to fight. No, <laughs> that's where Richie comes in. I'm like, Hey, I'm not a fighter. No. <laughs> so so uh, I was at the urinal, which as men know, this is a sacred space. You, you yes. keep your distance at a urinal. I'm at a urinal and they pushed me. The, the littlest guy, believe it or not, pushes me into the urinal. And so I just finish, zip up. And that zipping up takes a while for me because the zipper starts way down low. So I turn around. I turn around. And here's where I threw them off. I turn around and I look. And there's three of them standing at me. And they're like, what are you going to do about it? And I don't look at the little guy. I look at the big guy. And I push him. And he throws what my father said he was going to throw. He said, the guy's going to take a step back. And he's going to throw a big roundhouse hook. Right. And he goes, you you just get low, block it like I told you, and just hit him in the sternum, and then just follow with another uppercut. And I'm like, okay. And I've done it a, a million times, 10,000 hours, you know what I mean, doing this thing. <laughs> uh, to push the guy, he threw, he stepped, stepped way back and took this big, huge sweep. And I watched it like it was in slow motion and just blocked it. Hit him in the, the sternum and then on an uppercut, he goes down. The other two little guys run out of the room. They're my size. And the big guy's like getting up, like knocked his breath out. He walks out. And I'm like, it had worked. My father, it had worked. I came home. I told my father it was great. And he's like, all right, good, good. They'll leave you alone next time. Well, little did my father tell me that he had an older brother. <laughs> and I swear to God, I swear to God, for the next three years, everybody fought the Catholic school kid. I was in like more scraps, <laughs> getting get my ass kicked, winning a few, losing a few, but it's part of the package. I but guess. you know, it. And what people don't realize in this day and age is that that's part of respect, almost. Like, you know, guy, that's what kid guys do. Right, and yeah. today, it's like we have to have a meeting. And the parents have to come in, and everyone's got to talk. No, it's just kids being kids. There uh, yeah, yeah, 
And I think you got to split the difference, maybe. So the, the story with the story with that fight is um, earlier in the season, I had gone up for a head ball and I'd headed it away and it was gone. Um, and I was a clean player. I never played dirty ever, um, hard and clean. And I headed the ball away. And as I watched it go away, in the corner of my eye, I watched the guy come in. He came in two, three beats late, head butted me, split my eye open. I had thirty six stitches on my eye. Whoa. there and um so i you know i was stitched up and i had to play with stitches if in fact if you look in that picture again if you can see over my left eye there's a bandage not that one the one where i'm fighting see that left eye oh, got yeah. a bandage. i thought you were just pale because you're irish so, well both so <laughs> <laughs> though Bernal attribute to this uh, irish skin heals really well yes. um so i've got that on it so i still have stitches up there and this is the next time we played each other and I'm bullshit because it was a cheap. He it was a cheap hit, and um, I thought, you know what? I, I'm gonna just jack this guy early in the game. Uh, not not. I didn't want to get thrown out. We were heading towards the playoffs, and I I figured I just wanted to. It's not like hockey where you're allowed to fight. You can't fight. If I got in a fight, I would get thrown out and I'd get suspended for two games, and I'd screw my team over. So, as much as I fought, I wanted to fight even more. But you're gonna hurt your teammates, so you can't really do that. So, I wanted to just drill him once. And then walk away like nothing ever had happened. Like you see in you know the saga, like what? No, he's my friend. No, no, I did nothing. What? I did nothing. <laughs> so I'm just gonna hit him with one shot and then move away and just sort of say like, hey, you know, this is payback. So uh, beginning of the game, like the first shift because it was indoor soccer. Uh, ball comes to me. He comes in like gangbusters. Like he's doing the same thing. He's coming after me right again. So he was there. He was their tough guy. So. He comes in, does what we call the two-foot tackle in soccer. The ball squirts away. As he starts to get up, I look down, I see it's him, and I'm like, oh, this is my chance. Everybody followed the ball, right? So everybody's watching the ball go away. As he stands up, I, head, I put him in the headlock. And as he stands up, I wind up with this one punch. I'm, I only have one. I know I have just one punch, right, because I don't want to get caught. So as he starts to stand up, I just I lean down on him, and just with everything I have, I throw this punch with just all my might, <laughs> this punch comes flying up, skims off the top of his head and goes, wham, right in my own nose. <laughs> I, I fucking, <laughs> I fucking rock myself. I like, <laughs> I broke, I broke my own nose under here <laughs> and, and blood gushes out. <laughs> And now I'm even more pissed, right? Because I know, like, I, I, and I wake up, I'm kind of in a daze. I almost knocked myself out, for God's sakes, right? So I, I kind of come out of my my daze, and I look down, and he's still in a headlock, right? So I figure, like, oh, my God, the referee's running towards us. I'm like, I, I don't have any time left, and I've only hurt myself, so i got to, like, unload on this guy. So I just start getting him. That's where when I when he stood up, I got him, you know, with a, with a hook and then went in and got him again. And the referee comes over, breaks up the fight, Takes you know one look at my nose, throws this bolt out. The guy goes. Uh, <laughs> the, the other guy goes. What? I didn't do anything. And the referee goes. Yeah, you didn't do anything. And I suppose he gave himself that bloody nose. Get the hell out of here. <laughs> and so, so here's the weirdest part of the whole story. Uh, I play only. Uh, I play three seasons. Uh, I'm out of the league doing stand up for maybe three, four years. All of a sudden. Those two photos show up in my mailbox at my parents' house. No return address, no anything. 
Somebody took pictures. Somebody somehow found me, and God bless them. Because I, 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 I told that story a ton of times, but nobody believed me. Like, you know, no, I, I really did. I hit myself in the nose. Kevin, <laughs> what level of soccer did you get to? Well, you basically, were... you would have the, the MISL, is what you right. wow. New York Arrows. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, that's impressive. It was the NPSL at that point where ML, MISL yeah. and NPSL had gotten together. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was 1984. Um, and the leagues, NASL had folded. That was the only place to play was indoor. So um, I kicked around in Dallas and then uh, then Michigan for a while. So it was fun. I wasn't ready to I wasn't ready to stop playing after college. So it was uh, I really got my yayas out, and I was making the guys laugh. And I started to enjoy that so much that that's why I started to think about stand up comedy. Really, that's awesome. Yeah. So you and dive in the comedy, yeah. and uh, you, you're hosting TV shows, and then. Uh, did you know Jackie Flynn from the beginning, or did you guys become well, yeah. friends later? Um, Jackie, yeah, Richie, do you know Jackie? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. All right, so so I go to uh, I go to graduate school at BU, and I'm the assistant soccer coach there. I'm the graduate assistant, so um, I'm going to school in the day. I'm coaching soccer in the afternoon. I'm trying to do stand up at night, and um, I start and and I do pretty well right right in the beginning. And um, about a month in, this other guy comes in. And he's totally guidoed out. You know, he's got the white pants on and the capizios <laughs> and like a floral shirt. He's, he's got the gold chain. And like, he says none of that's true, but I remember exactly what he was wearing. And um, he, he came up, he did really well. He had a really great, you know, an open micer who does it first, the first time. And he's like, okay, that guy's got something. And I put I, that I, picture up of Jackie and Kevin. Uh, uh, that's, that's who you're going to, that's who you're going to, uh, out in that photo well yeah, i was, was gonna the, let you well that's peter fairley the director in the middle yeah there, at the I next film yeah great guy fantastic guy but jackie was uh he did really well and and so another thing my father taught me was always go up to people uh when they do something well and and say it or they do an act of kindness and say it uh, or they look like they're lonely in a room and need somebody to talk to so jackie was none of those jackie did well i wanted to go over and say hey good job i go i go hey good job man you, you did really well he goes Ah, oh, well, thanks, man. But I'm no pro like you. I'm like, oh, this guy's just a scammer. <laughs> he's, he's a bullshit artist. That's funny. And, of course, he's a carny. So he's a carnival <laughs> worker. So. so the two of you do the uh, Brothers from Another Mother tour? Do the Brothers from Another Mother tour. It's uh, He's West Coast. I'm East Coast. Um, and we started together. And we worked. To, and you started in Boston? We have not done it in Boston yet. Are we going to find the right venue in Boston? We're, we're well, no, 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 no. Where'd you start? We started at Lake Tahoe at the Improv in Lake Tahoe, and we were doing it there for for you know at once a year. And the balance really worked out. Uh, you know, I can open or close. Jackie can open or close. I have a whole bunch of jokes about the two of us. Um, and we're gonna, you know, we upped it where we sort of show film clips from all the movies, not all the movies we we're in, but in the movies that we were in, um, cool. and some of the acting things and some of the shows that I've hosted and sort of, uh, then we sort of do Q and a at the end. And I basically bust Jackie's balls for 10, 15 minutes. Then we go off stage. The club you saw him at, which was probably just an open mic. Where was that? Stitches comedy club, Commonwealth Avenue in Boston. See, which is where, uh, which was, man, it was the first time I went on a month earlier than Jackie. Uh, I had pair of tennis shoes on and no, no socks because I'm from Connecticut. That's the rules. And as I walked across the stage for my first stand-up routine, I think it actually helped me in the, in the long run. 
But as I walked across to go get the mic, I was sweating so much, my sneakers were squishing. So I walked across the stage. I was like, I'm like, oh my God, I hope people can't wow. hear that. I didn't care if they thought I was funny or not. I just was hoping they didn't hear my shoes right. squeaking. Right. <laughs> right. Wow. But Boston, so, what a time to start in Boston. It was, we were like rock stars in Boston. It was unbelievable. What year are we talking about? Give us an idea. Ball. Talking about 87 to okay. 90, I was there. And, right. um, you know, so like I said, in my in group. Boston at the time I started in New York. And Say I remember you guys coming down from Boston to New York in like the early 90s. And you guys were so fucking good. You know, like it was like every time a guy from Boston came down, it was like, Bang! Just came in. You you had the attitude. You you just it, you knew that there was something going on in Boston, right? You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, it's interesting, Richie, that you say that because a lot of people don't realize. You know, with stand up, it's always like the opener comes out and takes the beach. The feature comes out, tries to make it so hard for the middle to, for the headliner to follow him. You know, it's mm -hmm. like the way it kind of works. In Boston, the stars, the really they were legitimate stars in the city. The host. Steve Sweeney, Lenny Clark, Don yeah. Gavin, Kenny Rogerson, Jack Gallagher. These guys would host. So yeah. they'd come out and they'd do 45 minutes of killer material. Brilliant. And, Brilliant. But, and, and nobody else did that, Kevin. Right. Nobody did that anywhere but Boston. Well, they used to say, like, wait a minute. I, I'm going to make the most money. So I'm going to host because I'm going to be up the most and I'm going to do it. So I'm making the most money. So I'm going first. So the thing is, you had to follow one of these guys. So I remember – you know, you're an open micer. I became one of the funniest open micers, which is really quantifying it there. And then all of a sudden you get start to get paid work and you have to open. And right. it's a cold audience. Right. It's a cold audience. And you're like, uh, your, yeah. your 20 minutes suddenly turns into seven. Yeah. You know, and you're like, oh, I have no time left. Well, in Boston, Don Gavin would rip the roof off the place. Yeah. And then you would have to go up after him. Now, he took the beach for you. But you also had to follow it. So that energy, you always see a Boston guy comes up and he's like, hey, how you doing? You know, we start hitting you right away because there's no time. There's no time to go. You know, that that old Mike Birbiglia thing came later. It's like, so right, what right, else right. is happening? But like in Boston during the day, he would have gotten thrown out of the place. Yeah. You know, and, and I tell you, if you didn't do well, um, you know, Don Gavin was always so sweet. You know, uh, Lenny, too. They were great, great mentors to have. Uh, not as far as alcohol and drug consumption. And paying your taxes, <laughs> but but for, the, for the, but for the business. But if you couldn't follow Gav, at, you know he he put his arm around you and go, all right, kid, we'll uh, we'll see you in a couple months. Yeah, come back in a couple months. Yeah, couple of months. If you didn't do well, you didn't yeah. come back for a couple of months. So you yeah. you just had to hit it. And like I said, during during my period, like Gav Gav is such a great guy. Fantastic. Like, he wasn't going. Yeah, come back in six months. He was saying, no, okay. You, you yeah. know, we'll see you in a couple of months, you know. Now, he would, you know, come back in six months. That's what a booker says to you. And right. not yeah. one of us. Look, I've heard David Letterman say this. Stephen Wright said this to me. This is like when someone says they've been a stand-up comic for a long time, we immediately identify with each other because we have all gone through this same mm -hmm. trial yeah. by fire, this same rite of passage, the same asshole club booker who shorts you $25, the same guy who won't charge you to, to, to watch your tape, you know, all the crap that we have right. had to go through, um, you know, that, that's that. But what Gab would say was Gab was a teacher in a former life. And, right. um, 
And a coach. A basketball. And a coach. Right. So, I mean, he was really – he was my mentor. Him and another guy, guy named guy George McDonald. So. What's that? The guy knows basketball. Oh, yeah, he does. <laughs> He's making a living off it, betting on it. Yeah. Not right now, obviously. But uh, So you, you aspire to be as funny as them. And the other thing was there was a lot of work. So I was working four or five nights a week. And in fact, on the weekends, I'd double up, triple up. You'd come home with $1,000 cash in your pocket and um, you stayed in the city and you got good because you stayed in the city. And if you did anything like anybody else, you had some Irish guy going, hey, um, you know, Dennis Leary does that bit. You'd be like, oh, well, I didn't know. I, you know, um, Dennis is doing my bit, I think, is what's happening. Um, I, always, I always felt Boston and New York were pretty much close together as far as comedy goes. Mm. There was that calling out of, hey, that's somebody else's bit. And there right. was that you you got to follow some of the greatest fucking people in the world. I don't think that happens in other cities as much as it happens in Boston and New York. No, because everybody, most of the time it's you're insecure. So most people are insecure in a situation like that. You go to a new town, you're you're kind of feeling it out. Who's a good guy? Who's a bad guy? Who's going to give you a hard time? Do you think I'm funny? And the good comics don't think they're funny all the time. You know, you really don't. That's part of the art form. Um, the humility. Over the the past 20 years, I've noticed in New York city, it's gotten a lot lighter on people blow the light now. Like it's no big deal. Uh, when I was working the door at stand up New York, if you blew the light more than one minute, you were getting an earful when you got off stage. Right. Now these, you know, club workers are afraid to yell at the comics or afraid to do anything to the comics because the comics will go, yeah, well, screw you. I'm not coming back. No, don't come back. But, yeah, back then you could well, say well, that, but now it's like, I don't I, know what's going on. It's like I, I walk in a club and they're like, yeah, we're 20 minutes behind. How are you 20 minutes behind? Right, right. Like, that's, I, I think those days are over for a while. Because that bullshit, I, I think you this, don't think this isn't going to weed out some of the bullshit and some. Of oh, I, I think this coronavirus thing will, yeah. will. I think a lot of people are dropping out. But also, look, this. What do they call these kids now? The millennials. Uh, they are Generation uh, you know, Y or millennials. Generation Y or millennials. Z. Aren't we on Z? No. Well, I think they feel like. How old did we just sound, by the way? Well, I know, but I mean, look, this is an art form. And you can deviate from the art form maybe as like a jazz musician deviates from <laughs> what we're doing. But but funny is funny, and it will always be funny. So, you know, I think that whole coffee house thing gave – you know, I think Janine Garofalo started the coffee house stuff because she was trying to compete with these really funny Irish Catholic guys. And she's like, okay, that's – I can't do that. And I think that's genius on her part where she mm-hmm. sort of said like, I got to go a different route. I think a lot of people who aren't funny – try to hide behind something like that. Right, 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 right. Where I finally, you know, I look back on the old tapes of of, uh, of all of us performing. Janine, David Cross, and Louie were not doing as well as I did, but they were doing original material. They were doing really interesting stuff based on their sort of view. And I realize now that they were ahead of the curve. They, they really were, were good. They My- weren't working as much as I was, but... Well, actually, our buddy Marshall Trials has the greatest uh, line is he said, not because just because you get a laugh doesn't mean you're funny. And just because you don't get a laugh doesn't mean you're not funny, which I think is so true because there are comics out there that I watch and I go, that person is a genius and nothing's really happening. They probably would die on the road. 
But then you see some guys that are doing the stock material that you know right. will crush. And it's like they've been doing the same joke for 30 years, 40 years, and you're going, well, no shit, you're going to get a laugh. You better get one on that bit. You've been doing it for 40 years. Yeah. I got to tell you, I was working at the Brigada with Gavin. Oh, really? Lucky you, man. I'd love to. Oh, what a week, dude. We <laughs> yeah, I bet. Houses. We had the best time. He's the best. He, I know. He comes down one day. He's got a like a Starbucks coffee thing full of vodka. Right. And he said. It's know, usually a water bottle. That's how we get some on the cruise ship. It was a water bottle. You're right. I'm yeah. sorry. It's a water bottle. And, he, and he's, he's all pissed off. And I looked up. He goes, I went for a physical before I came here. And my doctor just called me. He said that I, I got to quit drinking. And I go, what are you going to do? He goes, well, the first thing I'm going to do is get rid of my doctor. <laughs> yeah, he, he hits the sauce, man. He, he really, well, God, I'd love to work at the Bargata with him. We got to get Gavin on the show, man. Oh, yes. he Harvey. I had him on the other show I do called Best Medicine. Uh, like it's an Nantucket show. It's hosted by Bob Lee. And we had him on and trying to get him to figure out Zoom technology. Oh, that's like, true. <laughs> It was like it was like throwing that initial typewriter to the monkeys. They're like, yeah. Well, not only was I at Brigada with him, but it was during the NCAA's. So, oh, were you in? Oh, in, uh, what a Flinny, What a great time we had! Oh yeah, he be, he bets and he knows and, his games. And I won a lot of money because I got a, I, I I kept calling my bookie going, <laughs> and he he made me a lot of money. He, he thought you. He thought you were on the take somehow. You're getting inside information. You were. You were Don Gavin. It. Yeah, I had Don <laughs> Gavin, man. He knows his shit, man. He Great did. comic, legend. He's a legend. And like, so imagine following him, and that's how. Oh. That's why Boston guys are good, I think. But yeah. I was going to say that. But the the David Cross, Louis C.K.'s, Janine Garofalo, Mark Marin, uh, uh, Nick Tapalo, all came out of that one three year period, and um, wow. it's all chronicled on the Comedy Riot. So. Uh, it's pretty amazing. It's pretty amazing. And, you know, colleges are there so that it's a young crowd. Like, Richie, I feel like New York, New York is a destination place where everybody, you go to L.A. or New York to begin your career, really, yeah, or to start LA, the next stage, you know. L.A. is different than New York. You're oh, still, totally. A lot, a lot. You get called out on your bullshit in New York, you know. You know, and, and and Boston definitely calls you out on your bullshit. <laughs> right. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. fight you. They'd actually punch you out on your bullshit. Yeah. yeah. So by the time the Boston guys got to New York, they were already called out on the bullshit. So right. you, like, I remember like sitting there watching you, Cotter, uh, geez, everybody, and going, "Who's this fucking guy?" Let me. And then you go, "Oh shit!" Like <laughs> you're like, "All right, all right, this guy belongs," you know. But the good thing is the camaraderie was there. Like I would walk off stage Absolutely. in Boston, and this hasn't happened, you know, much since. I uh, found a few guys in New York and L.A., not L.A. that much at all, like you say. But uh, you'd walk off stage in Boston and Jackie Flynn, Tom Cotter, Nick DiPaolo, they would all be there. We're like, hey, do you think of this? Try this. Try. I'd be like, oh, my God, yeah, yeah man. So yeah. we'd help each other with our stuff. You walk up to guys in L.A. at the improv. They're so nervous that you might be above them that they barely look at you sometimes. Everybody's just so yeah. – Insecure. Yeah. I was so. never an LA guy, so I don't. I, but I, that's what I've heard. You know, it's it has that feel at the cellar. You go down there, people are looking over your shoulder. Right. Nobody's talking to you. Yeah, but again, they're. Yep, I see. Richie froze. Richie froze. <laughs> he had a brain aneurysm. He said um, he had a stroke. Richie had a stroke midway through the show. Oh, so, they uh, asked him. 
That's, <laughs> that's entertainment, folks. That's the way it works in Hollywood. You're, uh, you start done, talking you're shit about L.A., you're gone, Richie. Um, so, <laughs> uh, so let's real quick. Uh, Peter Fairley was also in that uh, photo. Uh, I think it was so funny that something about Mary is my favorite movie. And then I told Great. you about my uh, obsession with probably second was Outside Providence. Uh, a little then, known one, yeah, but that's that goes much deeper, I think. Uh, and then you told me that it was based off of something that Peter wrote. No, uh, Outside Providence, yes, was a book that Peter wrote uh, about going to prep school and then coming back and and dealing with his his local friends and outside in Rhode Island. And he was trying to be a comedy writer, and he was living out in L.A. And I think he said he was he was walking around somewhere. Back. Richie's back. He's Richie's back. back. Who are you talking about? We're talking about Peter Farrelly and this book called Outside Providence, which became a movie. And Pete said he was walking with his brother, Bobby, and they got a phone call. So it must have been cell phone days, I think. or you know. Um, so it was a guy named Peter Carrenti who had gone, uh, who had grown up in Providence on, uh, on the hill there, which is the big Italian section in, in Providence. And uh, he was a movie maker. He had already made a movie. He was this young, ambitious kind of director. And he said, I love this book. I'm going to make a movie out of it. Pete's like, go ahead. You got it, you know, which is typical Pete. <laughs> and uh, then Pete's career started to take off. And right around the same time, I think after maybe the second of Pete's movies came out, Pete and Bobby's movies came out, this movie Outside Providence came out. And it was, uh, you know, it's a, it's an interesting, it's a great story. It's a coming of age story. Yeah. Oh, my God. It's so good. Yeah. You know, and uh, Alec Baldwin's in it and. You know the the conversations that they have around the table. You know you can't get too big for your your buddies because they'll sh they'll shit on you and shoot you down. You know? So all that drinks, jokes, and story time. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> this is ninety six shows you guys have done already. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're on. We you're you're a returning. We had you the first year. I know. I wonder and, what number I was. Uh, we I don't know, but we hey, we want go you. Back, to, we're go back in the do, archives. Do, when we're done, don't come off stay on because we want to talk to you about some stuff for a hundred show okay uh, but we had because we were talking about that we're an hour in and we haven't talked about vic henley uh yeah there he oh, is man. my buddy looking at rubbing his belly like a buddha um <laughs> look at that yeah look at that. wow see yeah um that, you that was a night tight. that we were we tight had, i i um Chris was on last night and he talked about vic and yeah. so, but uh, go well, ahead. That was, that's Chris's club, and uh, yeah. we, you know, we wanted to both uh work in town, we didn't want to do too much heavy lifting. Let's let's co headline, and he's like, Great! So, we we pitched it as north versus south, and uh, we went on that night. <laughs> and then, guys have worked less on a yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, like, hey, I want to hang out with you, I want to hang out with you, I north versus south, seriously. <laughs> when? <laughs> Call the printer. So, so we're uh it was a fun weekend because we're north versus south, and then uh on Friday and Saturday night, Gaffigan came in and did a guest spot. So he was yeah, the really? so he was the Midwest. Yeah, he's he was the Midwest, so he's from Ohio. So we uh we had a really fantastic weekend. But I I tell you, look, as I've gotten older, I have a lot of friends, but it, and my good friends are the ones where I don't see them for a year or two, and when I see them. It's not like why didn't you call me? What did you? Do? What about you know all this stuff? It's like you pick right up where you were in this business. Yeah, we all have our lives and, and right. we all pick up, and I I love it. And um, Vic was a guy who I'd always check in with. Um, 
you know, I, I always tell story. I think I just told you on this other podcast you did, Mark. Um, I did a show called Super Dogs, Super Jocks, yeah. and I was the I was the soccer guy, and I was on with Willie Galt and a uh, couple of linemen. You know, they said they were doing these sports activities, and after the show was over, about ten years after, they took it at ESPN, and the Sklar brothers, uh, yeah, made fun of certain uh, sports things, so they they come up and they grab. Super jocks, super dogs, as they should have, you know, because there's so much comedy material there. So they start making fun of me. They start making fun of my hair. They start making fun, like, where's that dog going? Oh, the dog just found out he's working with Kevin Flynn this weekend, you know, so he's running away. So I'm kind of watching it. I call up Vic. I go, I think I'm going to knock out the Sklar brothers. And he goes, <laughs> and he goes, he goes Flynn, you, you can't do that, man. I go, I go, he goes, you can't beat up those guys. And nobody would ever be like, oh, Kevin Flynn beat up. I go, both of them? I go, if I beat him both up, yes. I go. It's still not like when you knocked out the big guy in the bathroom, bro. Right. I go, I got, I got a piece of cake. Unless they're into martial arts, take a little longer. We'll have some fun. It'll be popping around. I said, but I'll, he goes, plenty, man. Plenty. You can't do it, man. You, you, you did a TV show. It was shit. They're making fun of it. <laughs> it was like that, that, that homespun Southern, you know, humor. Yeah. I, I just love it. And I always tell the story about hanging out with him. And Greg Regal and Al Ducharme in the car one day, and I, I took him to the beach on Nantucket, and we're out all day. We're with my daughter, and um, you know, being a dad is my number one job. I, I value it, and I love my friends because they get it. You know, nobody's being inappropriate. Like a little girl is here. She's, she, I think, she's three or four years old with us. You know, maybe five at that four, I think. But we were at the beach, and Rogel was a trip because Rogel kids and Rogel. Oh my yeah. God! You know, <laughs> give me a break. My daughter went over, took him by the hand, and he's like, what, what, "What's this?" You know, and she's like, "Come on, let's go to the beach. We're going to the beach." And he's like, "For an hour, for an hour." My daughter had Rogel at the beach. It softened him up. <laughs> but um, at the end of the day, uh, I dropped everybody off, and my daughter said, "Dad, did you guys even like each other?" And I go, "Well, I, I love those guys. They're they're my great friends." She goes, "You're so mean to each other." <laughs> <laughs> that's called being a comedian we're just nasty to him busting each other's balls all got, day when we got to nantucket we got off the boat and you met us at the boat and, and we get off me joel and, and mark and you're like wow you guys haven't missed a meal in a while this is gonna be fun uh, and it was and it was we ate oh, it was. We went to Karen Keelan's, at, uh, the woman who owns the beach side. She's a great friend and a great person. And uh, I think we stayed there for five hours eating and drinking. And, <laughs> and and I'm like, usually I'm like, I have to get my drunken comedian friends out of somewhere. And she was like, no. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we had it. What, it was such a great weekend. We were ready to move in. I know. Was, I know. We could have. It's just July and August is a problem. That's it. <laughs> yeah, so hopefully you're not – do you think it's off for the? Is it off or? Yeah, it's it's pretty much off. I'm gonna try to do something, but um, it's it's off this year. This just, you know, no one wants to go inside a closed building. No one really even wants to go to a place where there's lots of people. Can't. Yeah. Can you do an outdoor thing? What like a one nighter or a? a yeah, possibly. Possibly, but even then, you're thinking people need to be six feet apart. They need to be wearing masks. Um, you know, it, it's. I'm trying to figure it out, and I think the big thing is no one knows. Uh, you, you know, like again, to go back to Jackie Flynn, he calls me like every other day and it's like, hey, what do you think? What do you think about July? I'm like, yeah, scientists don't know. And you're asking yeah. me, you know, <laughs> I, 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 he doesn't know. 
Fauci doesn't know. Fauci doesn't know. And Trump certainly doesn't know. So I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> My favorite, um, somebody sent me a meme. It said, like, all these scientists, doctors, health physicians, uh, you know, all these people... Uh, said that the virus is very dangerous, but a couple of my buddies from high school who barely passed science said it's not dangerous. Yeah. So I don't know who to believe anymore. <laughs> He's got no no shirt and an AK forty seven in his hands. Yeah, you do anything this summer, you need anything from us. You know, you got. Uh, you guys are the best, man. Uh, you guys are always working, and um, that really says a lot because you're passionate about what you do, but also uh, people need to laugh right now more than ever. And okay. um, the, the returns aren't always great on some of this stuff, but we do it for uh, for those where it hits and it lands, yeah. you know? Yeah. And, and, Kevin, uh, we definitely got to have you back on the yeah. uh, for our 100th episode. 100th episode, yeah. We have a, a we'll fun we have a fun show uh, lined up here. Yeah, so well, we'll cut out here because we're an hour eight in, ladies and gentlemen. That was drinks, jokes, and storytelling. Last call. Thanks for listening to Drinks, Jokes, and Storytelling.